Well, you heard the, the bumper video uh, for this series. This is a week two of our Count Your Blessings series. And for many of us, you grew up with that song, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. Count Your Blessings, See What God Hath Done. Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One. Count Your Many Blessings, See What God Hath Done. And that's the intro to these messages, because that's kind of what we're going to do on Thursday when we gather around the table with friends and family, and we recount what we are thankful for. And I'm going to tell you now, because I'm going to spoil it for my family, here's what I'm thankful for. I'm going to just share it with all of y'all. On Thursday, the 25th of November, we are approximately 50% of the way through Hallmark's Countdown to Christmas. We're almost there. Gentlemen, hold on. I have a word from you from the Lord, and it's actually the Apostle Paul says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Okay, so here's what's going to happen. I make that funny like, thing, and my wife's going to be like, well, actually, Jerome watched a movie. Let me, let me be, beat my wife to the punch before she rats me out. I, uh, I was working on my sermon. I was kind of doing the finishing touches last Saturday evening. And I'm sitting in the living room, and Heather's watching a Hallmark movie, and I look up and I make a comment, which is proof that I was paying attention. Even though I was joking and I was talking about how cheesy it was, it was proof that I was paying attention. So yes, I, I paid attention to a Hallmark movie, and that's what Heather's going to share on Thursday that she's thankful for. Um, we have made peace. You know, when I considered this series and how we were going to address thankfulness and gratitude leading up to this holiday, I... Uh, I knew there was two things I did not want to do. I did not want to have some cheesy line like, Thanksgiving should be Thanksgiving. I did not want to say that. Uh, I didn't want to say that, and I successfully avoided that until just this moment. The next thing is I did not want to make Thanksgiving and gratitude just the end goal. Which may sound strange from a pastor. Uh, why wouldn't you want your congregation to walk in thankfulness and gratitude. I mean, after all, isn't that God's will for our life? 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Paul says this, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. This is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So if that's God's will, Jerome, why is that not the end goal of this message series, or of this particular message? After all, aren't there so many other benefits to being grateful and thankful? Gratitude brings peace and contentment and joy, and, and it helps us guard against envy. Yeah, all that is true, but my reasoning is this. Everybody who celebrates Thanksgiving, whether Christian or not Christian, kind of has this goal of let's be thankful, let's be grateful. So it's, it's, it's conceivable that I could just take whatever message is just kind of in our, in our society, in our world, and just kind of slap Jesus on it and say, look, be thankful. Look at all these reasons we should be thankful. Because everyone else is talking about the same reasons. But this is a Christian worship service. This is people who say the Bible is our authority for faith and practice and, and how we live our life. So what scripturally will set this apart? For Christians, what makes thanksgiving or, or thankfulness and gratitude different than the thankfulness and gratitude that we see everywhere all around us this week? Now, if you're not a Christian, I, I do hope that you would walk away with this, from this sermon and say, hey, that was actually helpful for me. I, I, I do feel encouraged to be thankful and grateful. But more than that, I, I, I hope that you'd hear the good news of Jesus in this message. I, I want you to understand and, and hear why for Christians, thankfulness and gratitude, it's a little different. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 17. And if you're really with it, you'll recognize that 
our prayer invitation this morning during our worship set was from Luke chapter 17, and I mentioned, uh, you know, I didn't tell the whole story, and I said, that's for another sermon altogether. Well, that happens to be this sermon. How very convenient is that? As you turn, let me set the background for you. Luke was written by a guy named Luke. He was not Jewish. He was a Gentile doctor who traveled with Paul in his first missionary journey uh, later to Europe and, and to Jerusalem and to Rome. He also wrote the book of Acts. So like the Gospel of Luke and the, and the book of Acts are like volume one, volume two. He talks about Jesus' earthly life and ministry. Then he talks about the life and work of Jesus that continues through the church in the book of Acts. One of, the, one of the characteristics, one of the things that Luke emphasizes in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to see that in our passage today, is that Jesus welcomed those who were on the fringe of society. A strict Jewish uh, culture and, and, and society, they excluded certain people, but Jesus included them. He, he, he declared, well, hold on. He, he took people in that were usually not, the focus of, of uh, like, for instance, the poor, the diseased, the tax collectors, women and Samaritans. You see that all through the book of Luke, and you're going to see that in this passage. So read with me Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. As Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They looked at them, or he looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go, your faith has healed you. So what have we seen here? Just uh, really quick, we get a clue from Luke uh, of the geography. That they're on the border of Galilee and Jerusalem. Ever since Luke chapter 9, Jesus has been moving closer and closer. His ministry has been moving closer and closer towards Jerusalem. It's moving south from Galilee, because if I had a map, I would say it's Galilee, Samaria, Judea, and Judea is where Jerusalem is. So he's moving ultimately to the cross. But now he's at this border of this place where there is a mixed culture of, of, of history and ethnicity and religion. And I think that's a clue for us of what, what's taking place here. And we're going to see he kind of reveals it in a moment. So that's the significance of, of, of Luke mentioning this location. And he says in verse 12 that there was 10 men with leprosy. Now, leprosy was a terrible, terrible thing. Um, those who were lepers were supposed to be outside of the village, outside of the city. They were supposed to stay at a distance. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. That's where we get our background. Um, let me read Leviticus 13, 45 through 46, just as a little background. Those who suffer from a serious skin disease must tear their clothing and leave their hair uncombed. They must cover their mouth and call out, unclean, unclean. As long as the serious disease lasts, they will be ceremonially unclean. They must live in isolation in their place outside the camp. You see, while the Israelites in, in that day and age didn't understand what we understand about germs, they did understand something about infectious disease. And so God, God says, no, we're, we're going to separate them outside the camp. But not only were they just separated, they were ostracized. Not just because of the fear of disease, 
but because they were ritually unclean. In, in, in the Jewish mind, to, 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 to touch a leper defiled, the, uh, defiled them. It was, it was almost as bad as touching a dead person. So there, there's these, these lepers who are outside in this border town, and we keep reading Luke chapter 17 and verse 12, the, the last half of it. They cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, the Greek word for master here is used for officials and teachers and leaders. It's a different word that we see in other gospels for rabbi. But they, they recognized him of some importance without necessarily recognizing fully who he is. They asked for mercy. They didn't say, would you heal us? They asked for mercy, which is a common request for lepers as, as, they, as they were dependent on the kindness of, of family or friends to come bring them food. They couldn't plow. They couldn't work. They were just kind of dependent. So for asking for, for mercy or for pity, your, your Bible might say pity, was a very common thing. Um, but they didn't ask for healing because they will take whatever Jesus will give them. Then we see verse 14, Jesus' response. Go and show yourself to the priests. Now, according to Jewish law, only priests could declare a, healed, a, a, a person healed of leprosy. So he was just kind of going with that Leviticus 13, 14 that we mentioned earlier. Uh, a priest would say, yeah, you're clean and you're able to, to re-enter society. Interesting enough, and, I, and this is what we mentioned during the, the invitation to prayer earlier in the service. As they went, look at that, verse, the last part of verse 14. As they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Uh, the Greek being you know, uh, literally kind of, if, if you were to mess with the original languages, reads more like, in the going, they were cleansed. At some point along the way, their healing took place. They, they took off to see the priest before they saw the, but the result. Their obedience to Jesus' command actually reveals some degree of faith. Now, we don't, we don't exactly know when they realized they were healed. But they, they were en route, is how I picture it. They took off, because they wasn't like, go show yourself to the priest, I, I, I've healed you. And they're like, oh, yes, I am. No, they just started taking off. But somewhere along the way, could you just imagine, like, Bob was like, hey, Joe. I don't think their names were Bob and Joe. It's not very biblical. Uh, your face looks really clear. Like, I, you know, and you got to forgive me. I am certified ADD. And I'm not just joking about it. I have the card-carrying member. But uh, my mind, and if you're like me, my mind, I'm picturing, like, the 1990s commercial for, like, Noxzema. Remember the Noxzema girl? Anyways, I don't. I just know some guys do. Uh, <laughs> and I'm just thinking, like, ooh, beautiful skin. I, I just, if you were a teenager in the 90s, how do you avoid those? That was the thing. Anyways, that's what I'm seeing. Let's go back to the text. Verses 15 and 16 says that one leper realized and recognized that he'd been healed. And he comes back to Jesus loudly, raising his voice, shouting in the New Living Translation, praise God. He comes back and gives praise to God. He falls at Jesus' feet. See, ten lepers raised their voice asking for mercy, but only one leper raised their voice in thanksgiving and praise. Not the major point of this sermon, but may we raise our voice equally as loud in thanksgiving and praise as we do with our requests. Now, I want you to notice the leper's response. 
He throws himself at Jesus' feet as a sign of humility. He gives glory to God and he thanks Jesus. There is a faith that you see in his coming back to give thanks. There is a humility that you see. There is gratitude, obviously, that you see. And then, and then Luke, as I mentioned, he does throughout the Gospel of Luke, he writes this one line that, I, you know, he's not a Jew in himself, he's a Gentile. I think maybe he kind of smiled when he's like, and this guy <laughs> was a Samaritan. And if you're familiar with Samaritans, man, they're the, they're the half-breeds. They're the ones who are, who are uh, ostracized, they're, they're outsiders, they're the ones who, when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan is the good guy, and, and the religious leaders are like, oh, that can't be. But he's, I could just imagine Luke there. And this guy who came back, this guy who, who actually praised God, this guy who actually said thank you was a Samaritan, which, which leads many to believe, including myself, that the other guys might not have all been Samaritans on this border town with a mixed uh, community, that there were Jews amongst those, those lepers. Maybe, maybe he was the only Samaritan. Maybe the, I, it, I don't know. It doesn't say. But it seems pretty clear that he's saying, this one, the one who came back was a Samaritan. The others didn't even recognize it. See, they were hanging outside the city. Despite their divisions of ancestry and religion and history, their disease united them. But when they take off to go to the priest, and maybe their respective priest, one comes back, and he was the Samaritan, the one who's experienced alienation and discrimination. And because of that, I think he was extra grateful. See, Luke wasn't providing us with some neat Bible trivia by saying that this guy was Samaritan. He was highlighting what he does throughout the gospel, that Jesus encounters the outsiders, people that his audience would never expect Jesus to have anything to do with. Those are the people throughout the Gospel of Luke who, who express the most gratitude. Then Luke, chapter 17, verse 7, we keep reading. Now we read Jesus' response. Didn't I heal ten men? Now, let's just be clear here. Jesus is not like forgetful. Golly, I thought there was ten of you. He... he this is a rebuke. These questions, he knows what he's saying. He's not like, man, I must have lost count. Did I heal 10 of you? Where are the other nine? Jesus expresses disappointment in these two questions. See, all 10 were cleansed. They all had equal motive to, to show gratitude, but only one returned, and he was the foreigner. Someone who's not part of this chosen people. What about the nine? Now, we can only speculate what the nine were thinking. And in my mind, I think the easy Sunday school answer, the one that when you kind of just read this and kind of fly through it, you think, well, they were ungrateful. I don't know. If you were healed of leprosy, do you think you would just be like, healed of leprosy, thanks a lot, Jesus. I think you're going to be grateful. I think you're going to be grateful. Grateful on the inside, but not enough to turn around and go back and say thank you. Not enough to track Jesus back down and say, praise God. It's like, I'm focused on my need, now it's been met, and I'm happy, and happy on my way. Ooh, Heather's saying ooh, because maybe that speaks to how we treat when God interacts and moves in our life, but that's my sermon, not yours, babe. 
That wasn't even in my notes, but she's going, ooh. You know why I married her? Because I'm her favorite preacher. I shouldn't say that because she'll come up and be like, actually, let me tell you who it is. Uh, See, my thought would be that perhaps it was in their just happiness. Not that they weren't grateful, but in their happiness, they didn't consider the source of that happiness any longer. Moving all about their day. Because I think if we had tracked down one of the nine, or all nine of the nine, and said, wait, wait a minute, aren't you grateful? They'd probably be like, oh, absolutely. I'm grateful on the inside. But here's the thing, grateful on the inside doesn't count. According to Jesus. And there's a lesson there that's not the message of this, of this passage, and it's not, it's not the message of this message, but side note, if you love your children or you love your spouse on the inside but never express it, it doesn't really count. Unexpressed gratitude, even if it is gratitude, is often received or always received as ingratitude. Not the point of the message. That one's for free. So Jesus asks this question, and then he looks at this guy and says, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. That's verse 19. The phrase heal you in the New Living Translation or the New, new, new International Version or the ESV says made you well is the Greek word sozo, which is commonly translated to save. Your faith has saved you, made you well. Beyond just leprosy, there was something extra. There was something beyond just the healing that this one guy comes back and receives. Ten received healing, but this Samaritan received something deeper than just the healing of leprosy. Ten demonstrated faith when they took off to to see the priest, but the Samaritan demonstrated faith by returning to the feet of Jesus to offer thanks. It's not that the other nine lacked faith, but it's that their faith was incomplete because it did not draw them to Jesus. See, I I look at this passage and I think, man, there are multiple lessons here First of all, and I think for the disciples who were listening and and the audience that was reading Luke, that outsiders, sometimes they're more responsive to to, to God's, um, sometimes they're more responsive than God's own people. I was going to say than the Jewish people, but we're God's own people, and sometimes the outsiders are more responsible. I mean, it's true of them. John chapter 1, John starts off saying, you know, he came to his own people and they rejected him. But it's true of them, like it's true of us, sometimes us church people. We think we got it figured out. So there's a lesson there, but not the lesson of this message. There's another lesson. The ten lepers, and we've already kind of discussed this, they demonstrate faith by acting on Jesus' words. That was the prayer invitation. The healing didn't take place until they obeyed Jesus. But, But the lesson I really want to focus on comes from the fact that gratitude expressed, um, well, it comes from the fact that the gratitude was expressed by this leper who returned. Now I said that the healing was in the, 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 the God's intervention, Jesus' healing, the miracle was incomplete because it didn't draw them to Jesus. The, the other nine left stuff on the table. See, gratitude draws us to God. 
if you look at the story, it seems obvious that expressing gratitude is important to Jesus. I think he may have known that those nine lepers were grateful on the inside. But yet he was disturbed that they didn't come back. He was disturbed by the unthankfulness of the nine lepers. Not because it was bad manners. Like, you really should write that thank you card after you get the wedding gift. I mean, like, it wasn't like that. That's not Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. He was disturbed because they failed to receive all that God had for them. Their healing didn't draw them to him. It was the, the end. Like, I'm thankful, the end. But this one leper who comes back is drawn back to Jesus in thankfulness and dependence. See, the nine received a physical miracle but missed out on the spiritual miracle because the healing that doesn't bring a person closer to Jesus is incomplete. It's not an end for itself. See, here's the thing. If we view God's work in our lives, whether it's healings or or, or miracle or provision, protection, whatever it may be, as an end unto itself, then we fail to receive all that his work is meant to do in our lives. And that's why expressing gratitude is important to Jesus. I I started this message saying, how how is it different? How is gratitude and thankfulness different for us as, as, as Christians than just everybody else who's being grateful and thankful right now? And this is what I want you to walk away with. This is the, the big idea that thank you is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray because it draws you closer to God in gratitude, humility, and faith. It's a simple prayer. Thank you, God. And if we say it super casually because we're used to just saying it, then maybe it doesn't have the impact and the power. But if we stop and consider all that we have to be thankful for, all that God has done, there's gratitude, humility, and faith. We are drawn closer to him. And that's exactly what this leper who came back had. Gratitude, humility, and faith. Gratitude is a gift from God. It's, it's not about not taking things for granted. It's about being thankful for what we have received. So thankfulness draws us nearer to God. As Christians, the one whom we've received everything. There's sometimes I make a, a face before I'm about to say something because I'm going to go out and take a risk here for those of you. And we are, we are a church that believes in being full of the Spirit. Do you know how Paul describes being full of the Spirit? It's not with miraculous spiritual experiences. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, Be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourself and making music to the Lord and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes being full of the Spirit as being thankful. And there's other descriptions of that, but that's, we can't ignore that. May we be full of the Spirit. May we be thankful in everything. Thank you is one of the most powerful prayers you can pray It draws you closer to God in gratitude, humility, and faith. So what does that mean? What what do we do about that? This idea of of how gratitude and thankfulness and expressing that draws us. Let me give you two things. First of all, be intentional about expressing gratitude. Now, that seems like the easy, expected answer. 
It's a true point of application, so therefore it's worth mentioning. But I'll, I will admit it's also weak because I said, what is this? how is this different than everyone else's call to be thankful or grateful? But, but I still want to proceed with this point. The truth is we are all self-centered and preoccupied with our wants and needs. And, and, and we are all on a mission to satisfy those wants and needs. So gratitude and expressing thanks probably doesn't come natural for us. Maybe it does for you. Doesn't really come naturally for me. I just I checked that thing was met, boom, got that thing, and keep moving forward, much like the nine. <laughs> and for some of us, expressing gratitude shows weakness, does it not? We have a need or a want, and someone else had to fill that for us. But remember, unexpressed gratitude is received as ingratitude. So yes, we have to be intentional, mindful, and reflective. But here's the problem with that. That application or point cannot stand alone and be any different than be intentional about being thankful that anyone else would say during this holiday. It's, it's a message of do better, try harder. Like, come on, you ungrateful people. Get your act together. Be more grateful. So that's why I coupled it with this next point, to live gospel-centered, because gospel-centered living has gratitude built in. When you live your life fully aware who you are, whose you are, what you've received, and the hope that you have because of the cross of Jesus Christ, gratitude is built in. And, and, and we... we we who are saved, we who believe in Jesus, we have all these things, but sometimes we don't live life with those on the forefront of our mind. We live life kind of whatever centered around accomplishments and achievement. I'm saying when you live your life with a keen awareness of who you are, that you don't have what you deserve and you have what you don't deserve, gratitude is built in. See, I'm going to borrow this from a, a pastor and author named Paul Tripp. He says that our propensity to either give thanks or to complain is rooted in how we view ourselves. So he says this. He says, walk with me through this, this, this series. First of all, if I assume that I'm a good person, then I conclude that I'm a deserving person. If I live with a sense of entitlement, then I develop an inflated sense of need. Because I have an inflated sense of need, I expect that situations, locations, relationships of my everyday life will focus their energy on fulfilling what I have named as needs. But inevitably, those people and places will fail to cater to or even recognize what I have named as needs. So since I can't get what I thought I deserve, I now, be, I, I, I now believe that I have the right to complain and grumble. But what if instead of assuming that I'm good and deserving person, I view myself accurately through the lens of Scripture? the lens of the gospel. We're not as good as we think we are. And if we're deserving of something, it's not what we want. That's the message of the gospel. That was the message last week. The contentment says, I have more than I deserve. What makes Thanksgiving and gratitude different for us. If you live gospel-centered as Christians, 
we should be the first walking up and saying, I have more than I deserve. <laughs> it's built in. If you're not a Christian today, I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm glad you're here. I, I'm delighted that you'd come to a worship service with us and whatever you're coming to, questions or exploring faith. But I, I hope there's a, there was a challenge to be grateful and thankful there, but, but I want you to hear the message of the gospel. We were born in this world, sinful and separated from God, and there was nothing we can do about it. And Jesus Christ, we're about to celebrate Christmas, although the date's probably wrong, right? He comes to the earth, walks amongst his creation. They, you know what, in, in theology class, they call this like the great humiliation of Christ. How humiliating it is for God to take on flesh and walk amongst his creation. And he lives a life that we could not possibly live, and he dies a death that we deserve that we would be made right with God. He dies in our place, on our behalf, so that we can be made right with God in right relationship and in right standing. So we truly have more than we deserve. Our righteousness is, what we say, is imputed. It's his righteousness. That's the message of the gospel. If you get nothing else, if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, you get that. Thank you is the most powerful prayer you can pray. There's a typo in that point, isn't there? Roll with me. I just noticed a typo here. But it does draw you closer to God than it ought to. In humility, and gratitude, and faith. There's a a Christian author philosopher about a hundred and something years ago. His name was G.K. Chesterton. He writes this. When we talk about thank you as being a powerful prayer, he says, you say grace before meals? All right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and the pantomime and grace before I open a book and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, grace before I dip my pen in the ink because it's a powerful prayer would you pray with me Father we thank you what a privilege we have to sit here and, and look at your word you've revealed yourself to us who are we that you would choose to do that revealed yourself to us, the God of creation, that we would know you through what you've revealed. Lord, I pray that we would indeed live gospel-centered, recognizing that we have so much to be thankful for because we're deserving of nothing. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments where we have an inflated view of what we are entitled or what we deserve. God, I pray that this holiday, which has its own history that doesn't come from Scripture, but it's part of being a tree. God, that it would bring you glory. The words we say, the thoughts that we think would bring you praise. In Jesus' name.